If you've got any interest in health or wellness, you've definitely heard of stem cells at some point. Stem cells, to put it simply, are special cells which grow and transform into the structures and tissues that make up the human body. These amazing little cells have been the subject of incredible research and advancements in medicine, and also the centre of massive controversy and uncertainty over the years. With the recent boom in regenerative treatments for managing illnesses, injuries, cosmetic issues, and lots of claimed anti-aging properties, stem cells are now at the centre of a movement which looks like it will change how we take care of our bodies and our health forever. But like any progression or significant change in history, there are many speed bumps on the road to this new world of medicine. Myself and Dr. Van Eden travelled to London to visit Dr. Ali Ghanem to try and shed some light on the issues surrounding stem cells and the treatments that they're used in. Dr. Ali is one of the leading experts in the field of regenerative medicine with a long list of qualifications and experience including plastic surgery, aesthetic medicine, medical law and stem cell biology. With a special interest in regenerative cells and stem cells and combining the tools of traditional medicine and surgery with a modern regenerative approach, he explains in this podcast why it's so important to understand exactly what's involved when we talk about stem cells, why there's so much confusion and resistance within the medical industry and in the public, and what we need to understand about these world-changing treatments to make sure that we're getting the best when it comes to our own health and wellness. Knowledge is definitely power, and for me it was fascinating listening to Dr. Ali break down some of the common myths surrounding a lot of these treatments on the market today. It gives me a lot more confidence when I think about taking care of myself and the people close to me, knowing how to sift through a lot of the marketing and sales BS and actually understand the treatments that can help change lives. Enjoy the podcast, guys. This is a podcast about finding answers to human questions, taking control and feeling good. This is the Human Regeneration Project. Ali, just for people listening here, um, would you mind giving us a little bit of a description or a bit of background into yourself um, and uh, w- why, why you're involved in this field of regenerative medicine? Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you very much, Sam. Very kind of you. And I'm very um, grateful for your visit here to the Academy of Aesthetic Regenerative Medicine in London. Uh, my name is um, Ali and uh, I come from uh, Syria. And as you may appreciate, Um, regenerative medicine is a new territory of medicine. Mm. Although we celebrated it by two Nobel Prize in the last decade, one for what we call them the golden trio that uh, discovered the concept of stem cells in the early 80s and one later um, to a Japanese scientist who showed that any um, cell can become a stem cell by some genetic manipulation we still are very, very far from getting this very excited science to be um, translated into everyday clinical Mm. application. My journey came through my arrival into the UK as a uh, graduate student from Syria wanting to go into the field of plastic surgery. And in order to um, understand the congenital anomalies and errors of development that lead to um, child malformation, an area that I was uh, fully interested in. Mm. Um, I undertook a master program followed by PhD at University College London looking at embryo development. At that time, stem cell biology um, in relation to embryonic stem cell um, has been taking baby steps into medicine with lots of concern over cancer, over malformation, over this um, biological uncertainty of taking these wonder cells, the embryonic stem cells, and trying to help patients such as those with Parkinson's disease or people uh, with Alzheimer, that um, all aspects of modern medicine is unable to uh, address their issues. So from there, um, in a very serendipitous 
and unexpected way, I uh, have been equipped with a basic understanding, really, of embryonic stem cells and adult stem cells through this uh, PhD that was just starting at UCL. I was uh, one of the first batch wow. in the uh, stem cell and developmental biology program at UCL. When I finished my PhD, then I joined uh, the plastic surgery training program, and I was fascinated how, as a plastic surgery trainee, I we need to use almost extensive dissection and incisions in order to reconstruct areas of the body that has been damaged by a disease or accident mm. or a um, uh, health process where the embryo is able without a plastic surgeon to repair itself in a miraculous way. The embryo scarlessly uh, can regenerate uh, elements of injury that somehow is lost after the, the, the multi-organism that is called the human is born. However, in other species such as the water salamander, the common salamander for example, mm. this aspect remain in adulthood. Mm. So if the salamander loses a finger or a hand or a tail, it, it completely regenerate that part. So I was fascinated how lower um, animal forms and us as embryos mm. are able to regenerate. However, after we um, become um, outside our mother's womb, we fail to regenerate except in certain organs such as the liver, for example, mm. and, and the bone, for example. So a bone fracture that has healed has no scars. That's regeneration. However, a skin laceration heals with a scar. So that is repair rather than regeneration. So from here, as a plastic surgeon with the knowledge of stem cell biology, I then kept an eye on what are the technologies and the translational solutions that are coming from the bench, from the lab, from the universities that can be used to alleviate common problems for our patients. Brilliant. So uh, to me, it sounds like Dr. Sam had a very similar story where starting with traditional medicine, as we call it at the moment, he, he through his research, discovered, I suppose, the world of regenerative medicine that not, not a lot of doctors, I feel, have the opportunity to discover or the interest to discover. But but that discovery has led you on this journey like it has with you, Dr. Sam, yeah, yeah. to a totally different field of medicine, I suppose, than, than traditional medicine. It's amazing when minds meet and you start talking about where, where your current interest comes from, how deep we can go and look for the roots for that, because mine started just a slightly or a different way around that medicine and that uh, medical research degree and where I had the wonderful opportunity and privilege to work with an electromicroscope and I did a lot of research work on heart muscle cells etc through my through that study and was exposed to the micro world and I I always thought that's the worst part of my life I actually wasted three years what did I do what uh, should I not have done plastic surgery or something that I could actually call myself you know and it's only about 15 years ago when I really started to discover, but I, I have some knowledge in some strange way, just finds its way into my hands. And I couldn't de dis declare why I had this notion or uh, concepts uh, which, I th which you have to go and read up, do read the publications, do your research, and say, oh yeah, okay, actually this is a publication on this. This is not just in my head, and this is something that comes from, your, from my lab days coming in. And I, I, would, 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 I was fascinated by this whole rejuvenation thing, exactly what you say. Why is it that we can have this incredible uh, opportunity to, to, to rejuvenate certain things? Like if I, ha I had the wonderful opportunity then to work for quite a few years uh, with burn wound patients and the amazing work that you would see when uh, a gas bottle in, uh, explode and nearly give somebody like a chemical peel and that some parts of that skin what you think is going to be a write-off just comes out absolutely looking 10 15 years younger now some parts where the dermis was damaged as well of course that is a scar then which doesn't look good at all but that's what fascinated me uh, amazing amazing yeah. observation uh, exactly yeah. most of um, modern aesthetic 
let us say aesthetic versus regenerative most of aesthetic medicine is about controlled injury to the tissue in order in order to create um, a response from the um, what we call in biology host or or the individual that in the attempt of repairing this controlled injury they end up with a better quality tissue overall so that's a very interesting observation yeah. that lead us uh, even farther in understanding the relationship yeah. between the, 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 the individual's own ability to make things better, but for some reason, it only happen when you induce it by some sort of energy or intervention mm -hmm. rather than spontaneously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Alien, uh, you had a specific interest, obviously, in cleft palate and cleft palate surgery, etc. How how did you link the actual surgical part with that regenerative part in in that surgical environment, or what is your vision to how you see this might go? Um, that's a very um, close uh, question to my heart because my interest in facial deformity in general in children and particularly cleft lip and palate comes from my realization that although from the anatomy point of view and from the function point of view we managed to solve a lot of problems. We, we know now how to close a cleft palate to the best of the function of the lip muscles, etc. However, when we look later on in life on some of these children, not all of them, they continue to have the stigmata of the deformity by um, failure of the tissue to grow or extensive scarring that is disfiguring. And, and all these uh, problems in this, I wouldn't say the minority, in this sizable cohort of patients who underwent successful facial reconstructive surgery still is not able to bring them back to full normality. And they, they, they almost hold the memory of the original deformity throughout their life in, in sort of stigma that to some people they are you know um, uh, they are um, able to um, face the this stigma and and these by by having a robust psychology but those who are um, for some reason more vulnerable they might be held back significantly by these things so I always thought okay a can we manage to avoid um, these sequela of our surgical techniques by optimizing the healing process towards regeneration rather than scarring. And B, even if we couldn't, and then somebody end up with a sequela, how can we work in a secondary nature after the original repair to optimize that um, outcome from uh, both the functional part, like for some patients, for example, for some patients, for example, um, the, the, the collapsed nose might prevent them from being able to breathe after a successful closure of their cleft. Or from aesthetic point of view, some people after successful repair of the lip and the nose might still have deformities which will render them less confident in pursuing normal social life, you know, going out with peers and, and fi finding love and, and building families. It's not the rule. Many people have robust psychologies and they move on yeah. beyond yeah. such deformities. So from that end, I really um, uh, tried to think how I can marry my background in stem cell biology and, and, and the translational research that is emerging now with the new technologies and improve and optimize the outcome of uh, facial reconstructive surgery. So basically, you would think about having the basic surgery done and then measuring outcome as you go on and you think there might be a refinement necessary on Precisely. outcome. You add your, your regenerative type of treatments and technology to optimize that outcome. I exactly. Unfortunately, many people misunderstand current regenerative surgery or regenerative medicine available tools. We would like to have regenerative medicine, regenerative surgery, treating everything like what we would see in a salamander, 
but that we know is very, very far from the reality at the moment. So therefore, it's very important to understand that although the stem cells are wonder cells, but they are wonder cells most often in the dish and in a very um, controlled way, some of the lessons learned from the dish can be translated into everyday patient's care. What I find very fascinating here is I obviously spend a lot of time around Dr. Sam and people like yourself. And what, what you've just said there is regenerative medicine is a tool that you have used to enhance the quality of life of your patients, which I think is, is the goal for most treatments. Why do you think it is then that a lot of um, other professionals are so resistant to this field of medicine? Why, why do they discredit it in some cases or, or just actively try and turn people off it when when you're not sitting here saying that it's the only way to do anything and you've, you've just stated it is a very good treatment when used in the right conditions with the right patients why then is there is there a fight against it why is there resistance excellent question recently i have been invited by um my mentor who i um spent some time with in the free hospital of brussels um, in belgium uh, professor mustafa hamdi to talk about aesthetic medicine in a forum that looks at controversies and technologies in plastic surgeries. And as you could see, um, the, the, the invitation was for a forum that addresses controversial issues and updated technologies. And I thought that this is um, a, a match that couldn't have a better fit because regenerative medicine is controversial and also it is related to some innovation and technology centered. Now, in that talk, when I went to Brussels, I used um, a, um, which I, I thought a little bit kind of um, unorthodox way of addressing a very serious scientific audience, I used the very famous uh, title of the movie, um, like the classical movie, The Good and the Bad and the Ugly. So I, I told my audience uh, to their smiles, my talk was the last talk, people might have been exhausted from the conference, I wanted them to engage with this topic. I told them regenerative medicine is about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and these are the reasons behind um, the skepticism and the some unfortunate disasters associated with it. I will very briefly explain. So the good in regenerative medicine is its a truth. Regenerative medicine is a true science and the emerging um, insights and um, available tools coming from it is not myth. However, the bad thing about it is that unfortunately the claims associated from the financial or industry um, uh, behind some of um, these interventions and some of the um, kind of desperate attempts of unfortunate um, people who are trying to capitalize and make money uh, fast out of um, luring um, unfortunate or mis less informed uh, patient, you know, that has been associated with very um, um, rushed claims that we will call um, in our evidence-based medicine unsupported by an adequate body or a strong evidence. So that's the bad aspect of um, regenerative medicine, that there are been some claims that has been unsupported by evidence. And if you allow me to um, express the third point, which is probably the most important here, which is the ugly, is that unfortunately some patients died here in Europe, not in low and middle income countries, from some practitioners who have um, um, misguided their um, patients into uh, some regenerative uh, outcome and they led to some complications um, that have been fatal in several cases in Europe. The another aspect of the ugliness of the um, field of regenerative medicine is that there has been some scientists who, because of um, good reasons or bad reasons, has um, published some reports of certain processes that the scientific community has um, credited or accepted as facts to then later on 
um, discover that some of these um, were not conducted in the highest rigor and, and uh, um, honesty in science. And you have all probably uh, remember the scandals associated with um, um, some uh, South Korean um, scientists who, if you look carefully at their track records, you will find that they had amazing um, discoveries in, in biology, but some of their claims were, were not um, done in the highest of, of biomedical research ethics, and that unfortunately lead to discrediting not only all their work, the good part of it, but also um, like the, the other scientists who are working in the field. We had another example here also in Europe where uh, one of the leading consortium of um, stem cell biology uh, leading to a, a paper reported widely in the prestigious journal Lancet being withdrawn when uh, we found out that unfortunately some of the claims made in the lab were not substantiated and couple of patients uh, who has been uh, treated in, in this um, kind of um, fraudu fraudulent protocol mm. um, died unfortunately as a result of, of a premature uh, conclusions and un, um, uh, uncarefully designed um, regenerative solutions. So um, to recap, um, the good and the bad and the ugly aspect of regenerative medicine um, overshadow um, the current interest in, in, in it from a way many people have hopes, some of them might be false or un, um, uncustomized to reality. And unfortunately, there are some claims which has been made, um, some technologies that has been introduced into the market um, prematurely, and there has been some setbacks and um, scandalous realizations in relation to this field. And I think what adds to that uh, is uh, Dan, the also the fact that who are doing these treatments? Um, and unfortunately, it is also true, like I work in the field of hair restoration surgery, we have a lot of unqualified, inexperienced doctors actually taking on surgery. And there's no reg proper regulation of, of that procedure and who has been doing it and who should be licensed actually to do it properly qualified and examined even. So unfortunately, you would find that these people uh, which are actually um, unqualified, who should not even be allowed to do these treatments because it's unregulated, find the way into the back door and set up uh, treatment centers and start treatments and discredit uh, the, 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 the whole industry when things start going wrong. And the very good examples here in the UK where we now have a regulations coming into place and and hopefully that is envisioned to improve the quality and safety for patients but particularly regenerative medicine has been always been as very closely associated to the cosmetic medicine fillers and botox industry um, have seen a lot of unfortunately cowboys coming in and destroying it for those people who really want to focus and make sure that our industry enjoy the, 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 the ethical standard that it should have. If you look at the older disciplines in medicine, nobody will just walk into a hospital and say, I'm a surgeon, I'm going to do a bladder operation today and be a urologist. But in our industry, uh, even unqualified uh, practitioners who are not even doctors who might just be basic estheticians and, and, and beauticians might say, okay, I'm going to start doing laser treatments. Now, some of the laser treatments are low-level la treatments and they're allowed to do that. I've got no problem with that. But there are many gray areas of types of lasers that just comes into the field of a qualified doctor that suddenly this person feels, well, I have enough experience doing the low-level treatments. I'm now also going to do a CO2 laser and I'm going to resurface a face and not having any medical qualification or understanding of that. So we, from a practical point of view, we, we're dealing with that ugly part all the time. And unfortunately, the way the, the media today look at this, and especially the social media look at that, of course, they focus a lot on the ugly, and the ugly, and the bad, and the bad. 
and the good unfortunately is literally just heard on conferences or a good before and after shots that you might see here and there but unfortunately i think in the mind of the public the industry is challenged by this very good summary that Ali made there of the bad and the, and the ugly, which is really so prevalent. I, I cannot agree more with you, Sam, in relation to the regulation and the regulation in relation to who can perform what is very, very varied across the world. So we have countries, for example, where um, toxins and um, fillers um, can, toxin, it means like, um, like the muscle relaxing um, uh, treatments for uh, anti-wrinkles, etc., can only be administered by dermatologists or plastic surgeons and other countries where um, we are here in the UK, part of um, allows for, um, I would say, uh, only un unqualified um, people to perform it, such as uh, beauty therapists, for example. So. I think it's very important to highlight the um, uh, need for verification of the qualification of the practitioner and their backgrounds, especially over new areas and controversial like treatments. Because here, um, unfortunately, because of the lack of the evidence and the emergence of the field, um, there are many people who try to make advantage of the confusions and the lack of um, clarity uh, in relation to the law uh, or in relation to the venue and the, the um, environment in which such procedures can be done. For example, um, most of these procedures must be uh, done at least in a place which is accredited by the local health authorities and in the, in the UK, uh, it's uh, the Care Quality Commissions. But you would see that, unfortunately, many clinics offer um, PRP, for example, or platelet-rich plasma that is not registered on the Care Quality Commission. So from that end, um, I think that in the UK, the regulators are working very hard in order to address these gaps. But it is also the responsibility of the practitioners themselves, as well as the public, to kind of optimize themselves qualification-wise for the practitioners and um, training-wise and for the public to very carefully choose the, the venue and, and the um, practitioner that they will put their trust in. Hi there, guys. In today's podcast, we're exploring the world of stem cells and regenerative medicine with Dr. Ali Ghanem in his clinic in London. If you'd like to talk to us about anything you hear in this episode, you can get in touch at info at humanregenerationproject.com or visit the website at www.humanregenerationproject.com. If you'd like to contact Dr. Ali or visit his clinic in London, you can reach his team at info at aesthetic-academy.com. I hope you enjoy the rest of this fascinating chat. Another aspect of what you're talking about there, Dr. Ali, is... The, the the this field of regenerative medicine has morphed into something now because of these business models that you've described um and it's now known as i'm sure you're well aware the stem cell treatment so everything in this field of regenerative medicine is called a stem cell treatment in the general public so i think this is part of the reason why the, the beautician and the esthetician and the plastic surgeon in in the public's eye it's, it's the same thing that they're doing they're, they're injecting stem cells and we've heard this from so many patients that come into our clinic and they come in and say do you do the stem cell injections i had a stem cell injection in this clinic or that clinic or in this country so the, the understanding i feel is a massive massive part of, of the issue here among the, the the public because if they knew what was actually involved in these treatments which is what we're trying to do here they'd be much more selective and, and the, the, the people who are not offering the premium services or who are not doing them the right way would be forced to, to all of a sudden pull up their socks and maybe out of the field. But just so, just so people know, and, and that's the purpose here, what, what, is, what is regenerative medicine really? Um, because we know it's much more than stem cell injections. So um, that's a very sad, um, that, that's very sad reality uh, that such a wonderful... Um, scientific discovery such as the stem cells. I mean, we have in, in, in medicine 
uh, our um, library of all published uh, literature or most of the published literature put in an electronic library called PubMed, for example. And we, as a doctors, we seek to uh, go and look at new uh, discoveries um, or new techniques that we are not familiar with to update our knowledge, etc. We consult these uh, medical libraries. And if you go to this medical library, which includes um, the majority of the scientific medical knowledge from the mid-50s up to now, and you put the word STEM in it, you will find a very interesting um, realization that up to um, the time where stem cells has been described in the early uh, 80s, the word stem comes from forestry, which is related to the trees. There was some basic understanding of the stem cells uh, in uh, homeopoietic stem cells and bone marrow transplantation which happened several decades before we understand the nitty-gritty details about stem cell biology ABC. Um, however, if you look from 1982, um, when the, the um, you know, the, what we used to call them embryonic carcinoma cells even, at that time the, the, the stem cells were thought to be a cancer cells that can transform to all sorts of things affecting the embryo, but now we understand that this ability of the cells to become any type of tissue at that stage, and it, it is no longer called embryonic carcinoma cells. However, so if you look at stem cell in this database, you find that human knowledge is duplicating every five years. So if you go from the early 80s, five years on, you will find that the amount of pub publications done about stem cells are duplicating, and that's a huge amount of knowledge being poured there. So just to keep up with this is, is a huge task for any practitioner. Now, a reason that has been associated with the expansion of this is that stem cells are everywhere. We have ourselves being a stem cell when we were fertilized egg. That's the mother of all stem cells, and we call that stem cells a totipotent, i.e. this cell is able to create a whole individual. When th once this cell is divided in into two, it still remains a totipotent, and that's why we have identical twins, because somehow these two cells separate, and each one of them recognize itself as a potential for a whole individual and we have two identical twins. When they then go and divide again, that's like the second division, we have an embryo of four cells. Each one of them is able to make a whole individual. That's still a totipotent stem cells. That's why we have the triplets and sometimes very, very rarely like four twins. However, something happened between the embryo of four to eight cell um, that we lose this totipotency. So if you take you know, an embryo which is made of 16 cells or eight cells, you will not be able to create a whole um, individual and then you will have 16 like twins. That is not possible in the biological terms. Now, in the dish, in the genetic manipulation, etc., we, we are able now to understand through cloning, and you all under, you know, kind of remember the dolly, the sheep, etc., there, there, there is a huge field of genetic uh, engineering that can manipulate these time points. But what I'm trying to say is we started by being a stem cell, and the majority of the cells of the embryos up until a certain stage are each one stem cell. However, from a totipotent, then the cell become pluripotent and multipotent. And this means that um, the cell is able to give rise to different types of uh, daughter cells. Like for example, a, a cell that is in a 32 stage embryo, cell stage embryo, can give rise to derivatives of like the nose, the eye, like the muscle, the bone, etc. However, later on when the embryo has developed farther and, and, and as an adult, 
we have stem cells in every tissue that naturally, given the normal circumstances, will only give rise to a particular type of cells. So for example, the cell, the stem cells of our skin will give rise to the derivatives, the several types of the cells that is in a skin. Stem cells in the liver, stem cells in the nervous system is able to give rise to derivatives in that particular tissue. So as a result, scientists started to associate any type of research with the stem cells. And eventually, if I now take like a small smear of my um, buccal mucosa from the lining of my mouth, I will scrape off a few stem cells in there. But if I then smear this against you, I cannot claim that I have given you stem cell treatment. So while we have stem cells shedding off our skin sometimes, or available in our, you know, um, like mouth lining, or if we take a small biopsy from any tissue, we will harness or we will accidentally include some stem cells in that tissue. But it doesn't mean that if then we throw this tissue at our next door neighbor, we are giving them stem cell therapy. When we then move to appropriately selecting the regenerative component of the tissue and safely administer it to achieve a meaningful treatment that will lead to noticeable and discernible results, that is regenerative medicine. But just giving a, a, a collection of cells or a collection of body parts that has not been verified by adequate evidence that is not going to lead to a discernible and meaningful biological outcome is actually um, not only um, unethical, but also a criminal. Unfortunately, there are lots of products out there in the market. And one of my uh, very good mentors and friends, Professor Magalon, who is um, the chairman of the STEM uh, Cell Society of Europe, that the forum that discusses translational research in relation to stem cells, he has led the research looking at different PRP um, kits and machines. And interestingly, that some of these kits available in the market, the concentration of the growth factors and the platelets coming out of this kit was less than the patient's own blood. So if you just take a blood from the patient and then inject it back or smear it on, on the skin or put it somewhere that the doctor intended to have a growth factor related outcome would have been better than using that particular product or that particular kit. So as you could see here that unfortunately not the regulation has a gap that then some people are using that gap in order to provide things that has not been validated or verified. Um, I think it is very important for the public to understand that and for the practitioner to also have the ability of critically appraising what is available there on the market in order to ensure they only engage with an evidence-based treatment that will help their patients, if not avoid harming it. In my field, I can talk about the, the uh, application of stem cell-based therapies in hair restoration. And if I just look around, and I've done a number of observations on um, practitioners doing stem cell therapies. And again, the place even, just placing that needle at the right depth within the, 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 the scalp to regenerate hair is so absolutely critical. I always use the analogy to say if, if you want to put make your car go and you take the hose of the petrol pump and you put it into your boot, does that mean the car is still going to go? It's not. If, if you don't put it in exactly the right spot and into the petrol tank, that car goes nowhere. And that is the danger I see, Ali, that, that the, all these practitioners jumping in and they're just jabbing in to the scalp all these stem cell-based therapies and boo-hoo in some miraculous way the hair start growing and that is the danger people don't know practitioners don't know the public trust this because they are 
absolutely bamboozled with, with marketing material of stem cell, stem cell, they, they completely missed the point. And I think that is the important thing that we discussed today here is that make sure who is handling that stem cell based therapy and whose hands is that in in fact you know like in my in my uh, course at uh, queen mary university of london where i lead the master program in aesthetic medicine we have a chapter related to cell-based therapies and i highlight to the students um, and it's not original i echo uh, many th ethical think tanks and guidelines that it's not actually ethical to tell the patients that you are giving them stem cell therapy simply because to give the patients concentrated stem cells is almost impossible without breaching the current regulations of cell therapy in Europe there are safeguards to protect the patients meaning that the patient can only receive certain treatments and stem cells to identify stem cells and to like isolate them and give them in the right concentration mean almost means that you are taking the patients or somebody else's um, tissue into a biological procedure that will breach the current regulation that prevent the patients from receiving um, tissue or samples related to their to their cells um, in outside the operating room. Now we here we have to distinguish between research and standard treatments. In research, research is governed completely differently than standard treatment. In research, we are like controlling and studying something that we don't know. Usually, we have a different standard of ethical approvals and and an informed decision that is compatible with the Helsinki. Uh, a code for um, conducting clinical research but when we are in a clinical practice we cannot subject our patients to the unknown the patients come for a clear benefit associated with a clear indication and we usually use evidence-based medicine that will govern our intervention so that's why i think it's very important for practitioners and the public to be wary of someone who is saying I'm going to give you stem cells and regenerative cells is the concept that we try now to encourage um, you know like the peers of, of using according to the ethical principles because we are seeking re regenerative outcome by using growth factors and regeneration can happen with regular exercises regeneration can happen with a healthy and balanced diet regeneration can happen by avoiding toxins and avoiding like um, so any treatment that understands the biology of the human and enhance their ability to repair themselves avoid the damage is a regenerative treatment and here like I think um, people who are claiming stem cell this or stem cell that um, when they are doing conventional treatment unfortunately there was a, 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 a clamp down from the American um, um, uh, Society of Plastic Surgery on some practitioners in the United States, for example, who used uh, um, the term stem cell facelift when they used con con you know, conventional facelift with conventional fat grafting. We know that the graft uh, of the fat, fat grafts, include, among others, the fat cells themselves and the adipose tissue derived stem cells, the, the fat tissue stem cells. However, when we are giving the patient the, the, the fat graft, we are not isolating these cells individually and then putting them in a concentrated way as we are able to do in a research context. We are giving them a fat graft. So some, some practitioners unfortunately use this term to kind of like increase their like income or lure some uh, un uninformed patients and there has been uh, clear recommendations and uh, and warnings from for example the american uh, um, society of plastic surgery against the members to use these kind of marketing strategies and that is that is a real problem for the public because what they read is stem cell treatment in my local clinic here now i'm not saying that clinic is, is not perhaps run by a registered doctor it might be a registered doctor but again 
if that doctor was properly trained and understand the science that we're talking about here today, surely that doctor should not use again the word stem cell treatment. Again, we're back to the whole regulation who can do these things. And that's a, a, a challenge that the public need to make sure that when they see the word stem cell, they need to be alert. And I think this is a very hopefully helpful discussion for people to start understanding there is a quite a complicated uh, process involved to isolate the stem cells, the progenitor cells, it differentiation of these cells, and which is done in a laboratory really, which is not happening in my clinic. It's nearly impossible in your clinic, in nobody's clinic, because you need to have a special license to do that. Um, and I think in Europe, I think there's only a very small amount of handful, perhaps less than three registered stem cell clinics in Europe, I think you mentioned one yes, in Yes, in, indeed, there is like a, a stem cell bank that um, is able to meet the regularity, regulatory standards for uh, good manufacturing practices. These um, are uh, almost verging on experimental, um, experimental research where uh, stem cells are isolated from the tissue and given back to uh, the patient but exactly that this level of GMP, um, good manufacturer practice regulations is extremely, extremely restrictive. And in each country, there would be one or two um, research facility or clinical facility that will um, provide this service. In, in my um, plastic surgery practice, in the National Health Service, sometimes we have conditions where um, patients had, for example, uh, extensive burns. They don't have enough um, skin to have skin grafts. So we need to take a small biopsy from them and send it to these um, tissue banks or stem cell uh, facilities where they can grow the, the cells to an, a concentration that enables us to use it. But these are uh, very, very rare indications and, and cost um, hundreds of thousands of pounds to uh, to make it viable for uh, small practitioners or for cosmetic indications i think it, i suppose that that pure description there i hope will 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 open the the, the eyes of our listeners to realize uh, a clinic up there in the sticks or here in the middle of london or somewhere in the rural england or ireland or wherever when when they advertise themselves as a stem cell clinic it's not only illegally, uh, it's not only illegal, but it is actually completely untrue. And people should be alert to make sure again that they seek correct advice from trained uh, practitioners that has the experience and the academic experience and training to perform these stem cell based therapies. I, I think you, you are very um, right there and for me, I think it's very important for all uh, our colleagues who are respected practitioners who want to engage with regenerative medicine to engage it with the highest level of ethical uh, standards and use appropriate terms to describe exactly what they are doing. There might be um, a, a clinic that might be able to uh, reach that level of, um, um, uh, of regulation and they are seeking to use a pure stem cells, but that has to be qualified, that has to be endorsed by the uh, local health authority, um, and the processes has to reach a very, very high standard. Uh, from here, I think regenerative medicine is definitely going to expand, and it will be able to um, uh, get rid of um, a lot of this ugliness that is associated with it. It's going to uh, turn the bad things about it in relation to lack of evidence um, into good things. And I think uh, we will see that with the more public awareness, with a more ethical and evidence-based engagement of the practitioners, with more um, involved regulators, we will be able to see a better, more promising, and um, more hopeful regenerative medicine. 
as 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 a consumer or as someone looking for these types of services just to condense what you've said there if you're if you're looking to, to have a treatment like this and you see stem cell treatments or we're going to inject one and a half million stem cells into your knee whatever it is that's not actually correct that's what we're saying here that's i'm saying you have to make sure that the practitioner is really qualifying that and ask for evidence of what method is being used to kind of isolate these cells what kind of um, technology is being used you must research it it's good to have um, multiple independent um, advices about it uh, because there, there is unfortunately until now despite uh, lots of calls from the ethics you know ethics um, think tanks and and different regulators of being careful of using um, the scientific terms for marketing reasons unfortunately we still see the odd occasions where somebody is using a specific scientific terms that mean something um, very lousy in a lousy way um, for the advantage of marketing i think i just want to agree with what what ali said that you need to qualify that and the danger is here because it's not regulated in the cosmetic industry particularly and it's just now in our very baby shoes starting with the regulation there is a situation where we some practitioners are very much regulated only also by their uh, professional bodies that will basically force them to use the correct ethical standards but then you have a huge amount of people that has no qualification actually to perform these that is not regulated doesn't answer to a board or a regulatory body and they will continue to use the word stem cells and i think that is the there is where the education comes in that is where the watershed is going to come where the public has to be involved in being educated about this the public in the end are the ones that's exposed to these two very different world of regulated and unregulated uh, practitioners and they just need to be sensible and they need to qualify the person that does the treatment yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah. Dr. Sam Van Eden, Dr. Ali Ghanem, thank you very much for your time. I hope we can do this again. Thank you very much. much All the best. Thank you. Much appreciated. If you'd like more information on anything we discussed in this podcast, or if you'd like to chat to us about stem cells, regenerative medicine, or health and wellness, you can find us on www.humanregenerationproject.com or contact us through Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also get Dr. Ali and his team on info at aesthetic-academy.com. If you enjoy these podcasts, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you think someone you know might be interested in this conversation, please just pass it along. Thanks for listening and see you next time.